0: This is the Swampscott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Librarians by the Sea podcast. Today, we have an interview with Janina, who we've had on the podcast before, She's a reference librarian here at the Swamp Scott Library, and she's the new leader of an anti-racism book group that we've started at the library. Their first meeting was last week, and they read White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. So first, I just kind of wanted to ask you about why you were inspired to start an anti-racism book group.
1: It was after the murder of George Floyd And um, anti-racism is something that I've always been passionate about, but uh, I admit to being lazy and um, I own my white privilege of being able to be lazy um, and not fighting the good fight for our black brothers and sisters. And I felt that with the surge of awareness that happened after George Floyd, I felt like this was the perfect opportunity to step in and try to um, educate my fellow white people and gather people of like mind to fight the good fight. Nice. And did
0: you get a lot of people for your first time or was it popular? Um,
1: I got a lot of signups, but there weren't a lot of people that actually ended up coming. And I think they, for some reason, I don't think that they thought it was a book group. I think they thought I was giving a presentation. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I mean, we managed to have a perfectly lovely conversation anyway, um, and an informative one. So it was kind of nice to be able to come together with some people and discuss some of the issues because um, they were things like white privilege that um, some had never heard of before. Hmm.
0: So now getting into the book a little bit, would you just mind giving an overview about what the book is about for those that haven't read it?
1: Sure. So the book is about um, how white people address racism or how they don't address racism. And it's not just racism as in Oh, that person is racist, but I'm not it's she's basically talking about in the book that everyone is racist and that they in some way, whether they're aware of it or not. um, Uphold racist ideas and ideals such as um, Policies that we might have, we might not know that we are part of that upholds racism our school systems for example is a good is a good um example of that you know we we have what we call the good neighborhoods quote unquote and the bad neighborhoods quote unquote and in the quote unquote bad neighborhoods those are where the poor schools are but we don't let anybody into our quote unquote good neighborhoods so there's systems of oppression that are in place that we can either uphold or just,
0: or we're just not aware of it. We're just completely ignorant to it. Mm -hmm. So I know you, at the beginning of the episode, you mentioned that you had a desire to learn about some of these issues yourself. Were there any issues in the book or ideas presented in the book that you didn't know about and were shocked by? Well,
1: I think the first thing that struck me was the entire concept that Racism is not just when you, when people think of racism, they think of the Ku Klux Klan, they think of white supremacists and neo Nazis. And um, it's not just that, they think of the extreme acts, but they don't think of the everyday microaggressions that white people can uphold, such as um, ideas like redlining and. Um, like I mentioned before, our education system and um, environmental racism is a thing where, in poorer neighborhoods, there might be that might have more difficulty with getting clean air or clean resources like water. Whereas in affluent neighborhoods, where you know the richer people live, you have cleaner air, more open spaces so there's a there's a disparity and so just saying that i'm not racist in some in some way you're holding an implicit bias and the idea is to look inside yourself and recognize what those implicit biases are and then work through them because we all have them whether we are aware of them consciously
0: or not when you were talking about environmental racism that and access to clean air and clean water i'm sure that's you know come to a, a head recently with the pandemic and um right. the way that some communities are affected which is something that we discussed mm-hmm. on another episode of this podcast with nia keith
1: and like because um, a lot of there's more black people that are dying of COVID because they are needed in the workforce because of whatever their situation is, so there's there's a lot of black people that are out in the workforce that are exposed to the the virus more often than not, more often than white people, so they're dying at a higher rate than than white people are, and that's a real problem. Hmm.
0: Um, so I just kind of wanted to ask you about some terms that have been be- that are being thrown around often now on the news, on social media, that come up in this book and I'm wondering if you could just sort of explain what they mean. So the title of the book, White Fragility, what is, what is White Fragility?
1: White Fragility is the defensiveness that happens when a white person is called out on their racism and they immediately either dissolve into tears or they get defensive and shut the conversation completely down. What is
0: systemic racism?
1: So systemic racism are things that are built into the fabric of our society, such as redlining. And redlining is um, they would redline um, certain areas in a town or a city, like oh these are the these are the lower income areas, the areas that people will not move into, and typically it was because there were people of color that lived there. So and also if a black family moved into those areas, it, there was what they called white flight. So they would have um, all of these people that would, all these white people that would move out of those, up, out of those cities or the those little areas because they didn't want their, they thought that their value of their house would go down because black people live there. And plus because they were racist and thought, you know, oh, that means danger. So When um, so the the redlined neighborhoods were considered the quote unquote bad neighborhoods, and the other new neighborhoods were allowed to be affluent and had money poured into them, but the redlined neighborhoods did not. So their education systems failed. The businesses didn't do so well. So there was a downturn in their um, in that city's structure of, you know, and clean air and clean water and all of those things. So that's, that is part of systemic racism. It's something that's built in to the society that we are not always aware of, but we see it in our media. We see it in the, the things that we consume with our books. There's always, always white characters that we've seen. I mean, I can count on one hand how many times as a kid I read a book with a black person on the cover or in the story.
0: Mm. Yeah, going back to redlining, um, I just watched the, it's a Netflix series called Explained. It's a documentary series in each episode. They explain a the different idea or thing. And the one I recently watched was on the racial wealth gap and they did a really good job about explaining redlining, which I'm embarrassed. I've, I just didn't learn much about in school. It's not something that gets taught. So I didn't know that much about it. And they do a really good job sort of explaining why it exists and how much wealth gets accumulated through owning property and why that's that goes hand in hand. So thank you.
1: And they also, they made it very difficult. I read an article, um, and it was about reparations and they and they interviewed some people, some black people who were trying to get houses like in the 50s and the 60s and how, the, how differently they were treated and able to get mortgages over the white counterpart. They were charged astronomical amounts and not given any leeway at all. If you were even a minute late, then you were either kicked out or charged an additional fee whereas the white counterparts did not have that kind of problem so they they were definitely trying to like push these people out of of living where they where they were because they just wanted to they they didn't want them there so it was a way of extorting money from them and also trying to push them out
0: yeah and as you explained before um so much of the opportunities that you're given or the privilege that you come into this world with come from where you live or where you grew up or right. you right. know all those things so I also wanted to ask you what it means when somebody calls you a racist because your first gut instinct is to be embarrassed you know in dismay so what, what does that mean? well
1: um, according to what I read in White Fragility, being called a racist is not um, saying, oh, you're you're part of the KKK. It's implicit biases that you have, that you haven't acknowledged or worked through for whatever reason. So being called a racist is not something that we can actually escape from in our society, because it's something that has been so baked into everything around us that we've consumed. And even our, I mean, when we were in school, I was taught that the civil rights movement movement happened, and it was all over. Like, everybody was equal, everything changed, and everything was better. And that's not how it happened at all. And we're seeing that reverberating through today. And we're seeing what happened after slavery was ended, that those policies that were put in place after to imprison black people, incarcerate them, to keep them in slavery and to keep them making money for the white people, you see that reverberating out through today. So nothing really has changed a lot. Things have gotten quote unquote better, but there are still severe issues in our policies and in our society that show us that we are still living in a racist society and to say that we're not is to be kind of blind to it. So I think when somebody calls you a racist it's saying you have some implicit biases and maybe you don't realize that you're upholding something that is racist but you are whether you realize it or not. So it's kind of like you know they talk about um, being woke. Well, it's like being able to open up your eyes and say, "Holy crap, like I do I, I do uphold it in some way, or I am participating in it in some way. That doesn't mean you can't dismantle it. That doesn't mean you can't be an ally. You still can. And I think the work comes when you realized, yep, I lived in this society, I'm a racist, I, I own it, and then you work forward to change it.
0: And probably knowing when you're going to mess up, or if you do mess up, it's not the end all, be all of, of the work that you're, you know, passionate about.
1: And and she talks about that a lot too. And and other things that I've read, um, they talk about that you're going to get called out. You're going to get, you're going to be told that you're being racist or you've said something racist. And part of white fragility is what when you're told that, that you shut down the conversation by crying and making it about you or feeling guilty and making it about you again and not addressing the issue. So it's kind of like you have to kind of become a- accepting of the fact that you're gonna get called out and then accept the fact that you can sit back and sit with it and just try to understand what, what the other person is saying and where you feel that maybe they, that they're right, but. Yeah, maybe I I shouldn't have said that. That was insensitive and now I know why. So use it as a learning experience.
0: Probably a good life lesson too, and not you know, just within this work, but it's something that people can learn.
1: The Buddhists have been telling us that for years. (laughs) Sit with it. Sit with it. (laughs) You
0: know? (laughs) It's good. We're finally getting somewhere. Right. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you. Your opinions on the book and why you chose it for the first book group that you ran and uh, why in general it's a good reading choice for right now.
1: Um, I chose it because I felt that when we talk about racism, we have a really hard time with the conversation because we are uncomfortable. We don't know what to say. We're afraid to say certain things. Like Even as I'm talking, I'm thinking, did that sound racist? Did that sound racist? You know? And I think that the problem that white people have is that they're so afraid to say the wrong thing that they stop the conversation before it can even begin. But until we start having these conversations, nothing is going to change. So we need to start having them. And I also feel that sometimes um, white people feel like they need to be coddled a little bit, that you need to approach it in a gentle way of, Now don't get offended, but you know, and sometimes I feel like people need to be maybe shocked a little bit out of that. And um, white fragility I feel is definitely in your face. Like it can be, I think it's uncomfortable for some people to read. I have found that a lot of people have, um, have had problems with reading the book because of how in your face it is. And I, I think that it can cause some uncomfortable feelings if there are issues that you haven't addressed or that you are afraid to own or don't want to own. And um, so I chose that one to kind of like, okay, we're going to, we're going to get real serious, real fast. <laughs> so. <laughs> get
0: ready. so here we go. <laughs> <laughs> What about other books that you've either started or, you know, thought about taking as next steps on the subject that you think people would get a lot out of?
1: Well, I can say that um, we are partnering with Shore, which which is that unites, respects, and embraces. So we at the library we're partnering with Shore to do. We pick three books that we're going to read as a town. And those three books are Just Mercy by Bryan Stevenson, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, who is in BU right now, having just started the um, anti-racism research department. And also, um, we haven't picked the fiction yet. We're doing a biography, we're doing a non-fiction, and we're going to do a fiction. Nice. And we haven't picked the, the fiction yet. So we wanted to give people a variety of books to read. And we and for my personal suggestions, um, I've just started reading How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi. Um, I listened to him speak the other night, and he's absolutely fantastic. And I would love to get him for the library. And um, So You Want to Talk About Race is another good one and um stamped from the beginning there's two versions there's stamped from the beginning by ibram x kendi and there's the ya version which is just called stamped and is written by um jason reynolds and um stamped i find really interesting because it takes us to the beginning of racism back in like the 1400s and carries us through to present day and the policies that were put in place and how slavery came to be how irish people became white and how race was even just something that came about in that time you know it wasn't something that was pervasive uh, to be white that was something that was socially constructed so um, I would I recommend those books. Also, the New Jim Crow, um, which is a book that I also want to read. That's on my to-read list.
0: Nice. Now, I just wanted to ask you what people can do generally to help the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean, I know reading and joining book groups like this is a good place to start. But what what about more generally? Would you suggest? Um,
1: I would suggest. Finding groups in your area. There's some. Um, there's a progressive Massachusetts group that I know exists, and there's some groups that are called like Indivisible Westford, Indivisible Lowell, um, or Progressive Lowell. Um, there's different ones. There's probably different chapters in different ta- in your town, and uh, my suggestion would be to check them out, see what they're doing. Um, I know that right now the vote is a very big deal and a lot of people are pushing for that. Also, police reform is huge right now. And um, today, actually, I just um, sent off a letter from Progressive Massachusetts to my representatives about the police reform bill to pass it. So um, there's also a group called Surge, which is showing up for racial justice and that's usually led by white people but they partner with the whole point of the white groups that are um, pushing for racial justice is that usually partner with um, black led groups to kind of show them the way. So they're not leading the charge, but they're helping the charge. And I think that's important because the black led groups need our help and they need our support. You can also look up black lives matter online. Um, there's movement for black Lives Matter um, there's there' are so there's so much and I've done a a ton of research and I keep coming across different things. Swing left is another one. Um, yeah there's there's a lot and I there's a surge chapter in Andover where I live. Um, there's one in Boston as well. so And there's also places where you can donate for the bail funds, so for protesters who are being arrested so that they have a means to get out. So there's tons. If you do your research, there are tons. And on our Black Lives Matter page, I put those resources as well and places you can either join, volunteer, or
0: um, donate to. I'll be sure to link that in the description of this episode so that everybody has an opportunity to see that but I think it's cool that you mentioned so much about working within groups in your community. I think it's a good way to expand your own horizons and sort of get right. a feel for what's actually going on in your community. So thank yeah. you.
1: You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs>